0: Thank you. You may be seated. Our passage this morning is in First John, chapter three, verses eleven through twenty-four, page one thousand and twenty-two in your pew bubbles. Verse 11, for this is the message that we have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's was righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death, and everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against them, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassures our hearts before Him. For who, whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what he, pleases Him. And this is His commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Let's pray. Father, we pray now that the Spirit that you have given us will remind us of this commandment to love one another. And Father, as we struggle through this text, Lord, it's uh, possible that our hearts are convicted, our hearts are encouraged. Father, whatever you desire for us to struggle with during this time, Lord, may it be so. For we pray all this in your Son's name. Amen. So when I was considering a title for my sermon, the song, All You Need Is Love, kept playing in my head and since this song was written in the time of free love, protesting and raging against authority, plus this utopian society, and being that this is my last sermon here at Covenant Presbyterian Church for a while, why not go with it? <laughs> but, in, but in reality, this text this morning has nothing to do with the 60s, nor does it have anything to do with us kind of pushing back against authority. Uh... But instead, it's, it has this embracing authority, embracing the Father. Uh, because all we, do, all we need is love. But the love that we have, that the love that we're called to have for one another, is in Christ. It flows out of the love that God has for us in Christ. It's a product of our new life in Christ. And so, yes, we, all, we are all called to love one another. And in the sense, we do need his love to do that. So this morning, as we look at this text, there's three points I want to address. The first one is this. The reality of loving one another in a fallen world. The second, the practicality of love. And three, the assurance that we have in the spirit of this love. So my goal this morning in looking at these three points is that I want to encourage you. But I also want to commend you for the ways that you have demonstrated your love towards one another. The opportunities that I've seen here in the congregation, in my own life, in the life of my family. But I also want to challenge you. As a pastor, I don't think I could be faithful to the text if I did not challenge you to continue to love one another. And to let that love that you have for one another be the root of all the ministries, on the fellowship, and the worship that we we do here at Covenant Presbyterian Church. So let's start off with the first point, the reality of loving one another in a fallen world. John kind of begins his passage kind of drawing our attention back to the message that we have heard from the beginning, this message that we should love one another. For John is the common theme throughout his gospel as well as through his letters. Love for John is a central aspect or central fruit for all those who profess faith in Christ. And I think it's important for us to note here: when we talk about love in this passage. That love that John is emphasizing here is the agape love, the brotherly love, and this love is towards, directed towards those who are in Christ. It's directed to the body of believers. It's to the person sitting next to you, sitting across to you, from you. Those are the ones that you're called to love. But it's also to, for those who are scattered abroad, loving your brothers and sisters in Christ that are in Peru, that are in Mexico, that are across the oceans, the universal body of Christ, the church as well. And being made new in Christ, because that's who we are as Christians, it kind of changes our DNA to where we are called to love our brothers and sisters with a deep and unyielding love, a love that has no end, a love that does not consider our flaws, a love that does not consider our sin's against each other, our sins towards one another. There's a love that flows out of our desire and our concern for one another in Christ. And this love and concern that we have for one another as it's set up is if we love one another, then the world's going to be blessed. This love that we have for one another will drive us to love others, to have compassion towards those Not of the body of Christ. So you see, it's, it's kind of like a chain. You love one another as Christ has loved you. So therefore, you can go and love this lost and dying world. But there's another message that we have here in this passage that was there at the beginning as well this message of brokenness, sin, and hatred towards one another. John kind of demonstrates this brokenness when he emphasizes the relationship between Cain and Abel. And his purpose for doing this, I believe, is to try to demonstrate to us as believers that when we are faithful in loving one another and living righteously, others are going to oppose you. They're going to despise you. Look at how these verses kind of feed into verse 13 when he says this Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. And why then does the world hate us? Because the more we imitate Christ and the more we live in obedience to him, the more the darkness and the wickedness of this world is revealed. I love how Carson puts it. He says this He says, When Christians act with the best of motives, with, uh, with love in their hearts for their fellows, the world does not respond with gratitude. It hates it. It hates believers. Because a life transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ exposes sin for what it is. But at the same time, a life transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ not only exposes the world, but it also provides a message of hope for this world. Verses 14 and 15, John kind of points this out. Look at how he uses the indicative perfect tense of the verb, we have passed. Says when we talk about the perfect indicative in Greek, what we're saying is that we're indicated that there is a completed action, a completed action whose effects are felt, and their speakers present. But I think for us, it's safe for us to say when we read this text, we too have passed, we too have passed out of a life of death into a new life of hope. And the eternal life, a life abiding in Christ because we have our faith in Christ. We have placed our faith and trust in Christ. So therefore, we live this message of hope to this dark and dying world that there can be new life in Christ. That there is A way out of the darkness and into the light. This is the test that we use to determine if we have this new life. Going back to what John's talking about is if we love one another. So you see how this is all connected? If we are to love one another because we have this new life in Christ, we're called to demonstrate that love both in the body as well as outside of the body. But we need to keep in mind that the world would hate us when we do this. I think we need to come to grips with that reality that the world will hate us. If we live our lives in obedience, it's going to drive others to not want to be around you. It's going to drive them to want to mock you to criticize you, to ridicule you, maybe even call you weak. Sometimes the world kind of waits and watches for us to stumble, and when we do stumble, what do they do? What do they quickly call us? Hypocrites, right? So how do we respond to these acts? We respond with love. And with grace, and with patience towards them. Because again, the true test of who we are in Christ is our love for them and our willingness to show compassion to them. The greatest example that we can be to this lost and dying world, the greatest way that we can demonstrate our love for Christ is by demonstrating our love for each other. But also I think as we do this, we as a body of Christ, we need to do a better job at demonstrating that love towards one another. Being a safe place for us to come back to as believers when the world criticizes us and when the world hates us. This should be a place where we come back to be strengthened as the body, to be encouraged, to be welcomed, to struggle with life together a place where we can continue to practice love for one another and to prepare us to go back out there to a world that's going to hate us. But yet we're still called to love them when they do. So how does this love then work? And I think John kind of shifts this to kind of focusing on how Christian, not only Christians living in a fallen world that hates them, but also demonstrating ways that we are called to love one another. And one of the ways that we demonstrate our love for one another is quickly by sacrifice. We lay down our life for one another. And this is all tied to what Christ has done for us, right? Going back to what he talks about in verse 16. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. So how do we demonstrate our love for one another? By laying down our life for one another. Now, you may jump to the Calvary, and I don't think this passage is actually asking you to kind of crucify, to be crucified for others. But I think what this passage is asking us to do is actually to sacrifice our needs and wants and circumstances for the goods of others. Meeting the good and the needs of others. We kind of see support of this in verse 17 and 18. When he says, you know, if anyone, has the, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in the word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Ultimately, what John is saying here is that if we love one another, shouldn't, we should not only say it with our words, but we should also show it with our actions, and with our deeds. We should demonstrate that love. This theme is similar to what we find in James when James writes this If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, as one of you say to him, do you say, Go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body? What good is that? What good is it if we, as people who have experienced the love of God in Christ Jesus, what good is is it for us to just say that we love them but not meet their need? There is no good in that. We are called to do more than just acknowledge the distress of our brother and sister in Christ. We're called to help fulfill their needs, their basic needs. This was big for me, kind of in, in, in seminary. And it really touched touched me whenever I was invited one opportunity to go and, and preach at this mission that was set up in Birmingham, Alabama. For some of you that may not know, and my family and I, we spent time in Birmingham while I was in seminary and we got plugged into a local PCA church there called Faith and every kind of once or twice a month, the, the men's ministry would get together and they would go and serve at a place called Brother Brian's Mission. Uh, And if you're ever in Birmingham and you get an opportunity to do that, I encourage you to do that. And so being in seminary, uh, you don't have a lot of opportunities to preach. And so you try to take advantage of those opportunities when they come. And so I I tagged along with this group. And the goal of this most Sunday nights is we would go and we would feed them a hot meal. And then we would have a short devotion. And I was asked to do the devotion. Um... But I didn't, I didn't have a clue of what I was actually doing, to be honest with you. I didn't understand these people. I didn't really know how to direct my devotion to them. I, I, didn't, I didn't even know these guys. I didn't know where they were coming from, their background. So I go into this building, and there's all these men just sitting around this table. And, I, again, I had no idea where they come from. And so I got to sit down and meet with a few of the men, and I began to realize that some of these guys were um, coming from some horrible situations. Some of them just got out of prison. Some were homeless, and some of them just needed a hand. So afterwards, I kind of wanted to find out more about this mission, about more about this this ministry that was directed toward these men because it was new to me. Wow, we actually—I'm from South Georgia, rural area. You kind of go to church; everybody kind of knows your name. It's kind of like a cheers thing. But this was new. There was a church that actually ministered to men. They, they didn't even know. They would go in and see them just on Sundays. And they would have conversation with them. And they would sit with them. But then they would get up and leave. But then they would continue coming back, these men. So it was new. I wanted to find out more, more about this ministry. So I came across this kind of brief bio of Brother Brian. And I'm just going to read a brief portion of that to you. And this is kind of what was my Damascus Road experience about having a love for others in my life and in my ministry. Um, But I'm just going to read a part of that. It says this. It says, For years, James Bryan walked the streets of Birmingham, Alabama, ministering in the name of Jesus to the people of the fast-growing city, not only to the respectable people, but also to gamblers, drunkards, and prostitutes, He was the pastor of Third Presbyterian Church, a downtown church, surrounded by African-Americans, poor white families, Jews, immigrant workers from Italy, Hungary, Greece, and other countries. Brian knew the people of Birmingham, and they knew and loved him. That is why they called him Brother Brian. To him, all people, black and white, native-born, and immigrants, poor and rich, were his brothers and sisters in Christ. That to me was my aha moment, because for so long I have struggled with this text, this loving one another, and I never really saw it lived out. But in this mission, I saw it lived out, and so I share this not to kind of hype James James Bryant or. The a is saying anything, but anyway, to kind of stress my aha moment, but also to drive us to think more about how are we, as the body of Christ, sacrificing for the needs of others around us. You know, in just a few minutes, we're about to transition from worshiping in this building over to a meal. And we're going to sit down and we're going to have a good meal, and we're going to listen to someone share about a ministry called Step. And then we'll get in our cars, and then we'll head home. And hopefully on our way home, we will actually have conversations that are geared and directed towards step ministry. But I want to challenge you this morning. To instead of eating and listening to someone share about step ministry, I want you to do that. I want you to do far more than that. I want you to sign up. To be a part step ministry to serve at step ministry if not step ministry how about the orchard food bank how about the crisis pregnancy center how about the international friendship outreach how about metanoia prison ministry or how about whatever we offer here at the church Instead of just saying that we love serving or that we love the body, how about we actually demonstrate it by our actions? Find a place where you can show that you love others by serving and meeting their needs. Let's not just say it by our words, but let's show it by our actions. It's going to require sacrifice. It's going to require you to give up something. But that's what we're supposed to do. If we have been transformed by the gospel, if we have experienced his love, then shouldn't we show that love towards others by serving them and being there for them? John kind of concludes this section of this letter, kind of assuring believers that they can live with the confidence of the truth that they are in Christ Jesus because of their love for one another. However, I'm, I'm sure that some of you are thinking as we kind of talk about this idea of service is that there's probably questions going through your mind that this idea of, well, if I don't... I, well, if I don't love others and if I don't meet other people's needs, you know, then am I not a believer? Or if, you know, I, some may say, well, I don't have time. So does that make me less of a Christian? Let me go ahead and tell you, no, that doesn't. And I think John kind of anticipates that inner turmoil that you are struggling with, if you're struggling with this right now, based on this passage. Because then he goes on, he talks about kind of this idea of, for whatever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts, and He knows everything. So what John is telling us here in this passage is that there are going to be moments, and I'm sure some of you are starting this now, as you think about this idea of loving and serving others, that maybe doubt or fear or lack of assurance kind of rises in your heart, because maybe you don't do more, or maybe you don't serve more, or maybe you struggle with finding time to serve. And I think he anticipates that here. And I think what, the way he addresses it is, is pretty wise because he says, you know, you're going to struggle with these convictions that come from your heart, but you know what? You can be confident. God has given you the Spirit. And God has given you the Spirit. He knows you, and he's going to care for you, and he knows what's on your heart. He knows your motives. He knows your desires. He knows the reasons why you may struggle with doing service or why you may struggle with meeting the needs of others. He knows that. So it's like John is well aware of, of, of the struggles that we have when we talk about going out there and actually doing ministry. And so he kind of is reminding the believers, "You know what? I know that struggle, but you can still rest, and that the spirit is working in you. That spirit is going to cause you to continue to be more like Christ, And the more you become more like Christ, the more you're going to love and love others, and the more you're going to want to demonstrate that love and service to others. But I think what he's getting at here too is this aspect that the more that we read God's word and that we the more that we rest in God's sovereignty, that he is in charge and over all things, the more that we can set aside our emotions and let the Spirit guide us in doing ministry. I think sometimes we allow kind of the accuser to come into our hearts and kind of swell up in us seeds of doubt. Maybe I'm not doing enough for the church. Maybe I'm not doing enough in loving and serving others. But I think what he's saying here is that as we continue to to look at this love that we have in Christ, and I'm sure that we are going to doubt these times, that the Spirit, God has given us the Spirit to rest in the confidence that we are in Him. That when He says He loves us, that He loves us. And when you can believe and we can rest in that, when we struggle at actually doing ministry. It doesn't excuse us from doing ministry, but I think it can keep us from actually having those doubts or fears that we are less of a believer whenever we feel like we can't do ministry, if that makes sense. Because God has given the Spirit to provide that confidence for us. And the more we reflect on God's love on a daily basis, the more that we have in, the love that we have in Christ Jesus, I think the more we are called to seek out opportunities and serve others. But then those opportunities come and we not take advantage of those opportunities, we can rest in the confidence that the Spirit is still at work in us. That he hadn't left us. That the Lord still loves us. Because it's a given, right? When we look at the imperatives of Scripture, what we first, we first want to do is we first want to do like a self-evaluation. I'm not doing good in this. I'm not doing good in that. I'm not doing good in this. We can quickly let our emotions drive us from not, one, seeking to do ministry, and two, not, loving, or not seeking to love and serve our brother and sister in Christ. But what John is saying here is this, we can reflect on the confidence that we have that Spirit is working in us. We can rest in that. There are gonna be days when we are going to want to do those things. There's gonna be days that we are going to struggle to do those things in loving and serving. But the the Spirit is still working in us. And we can rest in that. We can rest in that confidence and knowing that it's doing its work. John then kind of transitions in verse 21 to 24, kind of focuses on the blessings that flow out of this confidence that we have in the Spirit. He kind of assures the Christians that, you know, that whenever the condemnations that come from the heart, actually they should drive us to want to focus on the promises of God. In verse 21, we are assured that we can rely on God because we are His. In verse 22, John writes that we can approach Him through prayer and be confident we will receive answers. And this confidence in God's ability and confidence in the work of the Spirit to answer our prayers go hand in hand with keeping and obeying His commands. We keep His commandments, we do what pleases Him, God answers our prayers. Why? Because we are united to the Father. And the Father hears and answers our prayers because of the work of the Son. And John kind of mentions this in verse 24 when he talks about the Spirit. The Spirit then answers these things and works through these things. He kind of wraps up the Spirit, kind of places the passage, kind of placing the focus and the attention on the work of the Spirit in the life of a believer. We're able to obey his commands. We're able to do as he please, because the spirit that lives inside of us is doing that work. We're able to love one another, in word and deed, because of the spirit that's living inside of us, causing us to love and want to serve one another. The spirit empowers us to do these things to love not in word but also in action I think we need to be encouraged brothers and sisters to continue to reflect on the work of the Spirit inside of us never doubt what he's doing never doubt how God is perfecting you to be more like Christ each day we have a tendency to do that and I think as we continue to reflect on his word and as we continue to reflect on his commandments and we rest in the fact that we're in Christ and because we're in God because of Christ then for we should be patient and let the spirit do its work in these moments when we struggle with loving others and serving others. Now when I was thinking about or preparing for this sermon, I had a lot of different passages that I was wanting to preach. And the reason why I chose this passage is one, I've been wrestling through this passage pretty much all my life, as I've mentioned, from my time in Birmingham. But also, I've been going back to this passage weekly because of just going through First John. And it dawned on me that this would be probably my last sermon for a while. And oftentimes, when preachers preach a sermon, their last one for a while, they, the congregation tends to remember them by that sermon. And so as a pastor, I wanted to Preacher sermon that I felt that best demonstrated what I strive so hard to do here at Covenant Presbyterian Church through my seven and a half years. And that was to encourage you to love one another. I have seen and experienced that love in this community. I've experienced uh, by the word of mouth and by deed. But I want to encourage you to do more. I want to encourage you to sacrifice more for one another. To see that the faith that we have in common through the Spirit that lives within us empowers us on a daily basis to call us to sacrifice more for one another. I wanna encourage you to see ministry not as a chore, but as a joy. To see that loving one another is not something that should be taken lightly, but something that we're called to do. My family and I have been eternally blessed by the time that we've been here at Covenant. You guys will always be a family to us, and I was reminded of that this past Friday when a dear friend from the church came into my office and told me that when they moved to Little Rock, that they were told that though they leave this part of the family, they venture on to join and minister to those of our grand extended family. And so my prayer is this, is that God would continue to bless you here at Covenant Presbyterian Church. And may the Spirit continue to work in you to cause you to love one another. Not just in word, but also in deed. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I confess that I struggle through this text. And the reason why I struggle through this text so often is because I struggle with loving, not only in word but also in deed. Father, I also struggle with my emotions that draw me often to to doubt, to fear when I don't do enough when I don't love enough, when I don't serve enough. And Father, I pray for those in this congregation that may struggle with that as well, that you would send the Spirit to remind us that you are at work in us, and that you are far greater than our doubts, and that you are far greater than our fears, and that we can rest in you and in the work that you're doing in us. Father, I pray for Covenant Presbyterian Church, and I pray that they would be encouraged to love not only in words, but also in their deeds. Encourage them, Father, to see the needs of others and and have the desire to meet those needs out of their love for them. For a pray of this and your son. Amen.